Good morning. Let's open up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. Lord, we, when we get to come early to, to the study of Exodus, we learn and we, we learn more about you, Lord, and more how you would guide us and the, the rules and the, the things that you would have us do and the way you would have us be, Lord, that you want us to love one another. Lord, and even though someone may be your enemy, you're to treat them as your friend. So Lord, let us take all that we learn on these uh, every day from you, and let us add, apply that, this to our lives so that we can be the way you want us to be. This we ask in, your, in Jesus' name, amen. I always wondered, do they score you in seminary on your prayers? <laughs> I'm, I always think of uh, prayer 101 and prayer 201, and you know, once you got to 401. You know. <laughs> well, some people, you know, they pray to God, and then some people pray to the people. <laughs> All right, let's worship our Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> Surrounded with song, you shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. Someone has said that when faith is strong, troubles seem trifle. That doesn't mean our troubles aren't real or that we act as if they didn't exist. God takes them seriously, so seriously that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to deal with the root cause, which is sin. But just as Jesus triumphed over death, so he helps us triumph over our trouble. Even in the midst of the trouble, the Bible says, I will turn your mourning into joy. How does it happen? It's by looking to faith to God. He has not abandoned us, and he has plans for our future. He can give us an optimistic spirit, somewhat like the Englishman I heard that was uh, in the World War II. He stood looking down at this deep hole where the bomb created this crater and where, where his house once stood. And his response was, I always did want a basement. <laughs> and now I can jolly well build another house like the way I always wanted. The hope for today have you ever watched someone experience unspeakable loss and learn to smile again? Did you endure something you thought would never, that you would never survive, and yet here you are? Only God brings beauty from ashes. Now is the time to worship. the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. 
Testament scripture today comes from Isaiah 25 verses 1 through 9. Okay. Oh Lord, I will honor and praise your name for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago and now you have accomplished them. You turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned into rubble. Beautiful palaces and distant lands disappear and will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. Ruthless nations will fear you. But you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat, for the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like storm beating against a wall or like the re relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of foreign nations as the shade of a cloud cools relentless heat, so the boastful songs of the ruthless people are stilled. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with a clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all the insults and mockery against this land and the people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trust in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Amen. Oh, oh, wait, I'm not done. Oh, dear. Okay. If you'd like to stand. <laughs> It'd say the Lord's Prayer with us. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd like to keep standing, we'll sing Cleanse Me. Cleanse Me. Testament reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Yeah, that's the New Testament. It's sort of in the back portion. <laughs> Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear, my dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Eudea and Saith, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. 
for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in, in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. If you take your bulletin, we have our responsive reading. Savior, teach me day by day, love's sweet lesson to obey. Sweeter lesson cannot be loving him who first loved me. With a child's glad heart of love, at thy bidding may I move. Move, serve, and follow thee, loving him who first loved me. Teach me thus thy steps to trace, strong to follow in thy grace. Learning how to love from thee, loving him who first loved me. Love in, love in loving finds employ, in obedience all her joy. For knew that loving him who first loved me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you call, we know all belongs to you. We know all come from you. And we know for some reason you've entrusted it to us, many things to us, Lord. But you do call for us to give back, to share the bounty that you have provided us, you, to share it so that others may come to know you, so that those that are not as fortunate can feel the fortune of your love as it is, it is, as it is handed out. So, Lord, as we, the gifts that we give today, we ask that you bless and that they be used to show your love to, to others. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get started, let's pray for Tom and his... Uh... Lord, we just uh, pray for this, uh, for Tom, for this headache, and we just uh, we thank you for Tom. We pray, Lord, that you'll touch him and bless him, and take this pain away. And uh, this migraine, Father, may you just touch it in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your word. We pray that uh, Jesus, that you will speak to each and every one of us out of your word. We thank you that your word is the word of life, and that. By it, we can be saved and we can grow in you and we can become more like you. So we pray as we hear it today, Lord, um, all of us, may we um, 
May we ingest this word and chew on this word and, and meditate on your word uh, so that we can grow and become more like you. Um, we want to be like Christ. Amen. Our text for today is Colossians 3.12, which we've been in for, I don't know, the last uh, six months or something like that. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere around there. <laughs> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And see, we'll be done with this verse. So uh, we're really moving along. So it says, clothe yourself. And so there's this contrast between putting off those things that, um, you know, have anything to do with the flesh or the sinful nature and putting on the things that are of Christ. So we're, we're constantly putting off and we're putting on the things of Christ. Uh, we're putting off, for example, um, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And we're, putting on ang uh, and we're putting off anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and lying, and so on and so forth. Okay, it's just a partial list. But we're putting on and we're clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and so on. All the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we are constantly in the process of putting on this new set of clothes. We have new clothes which are natural to our new nature um, and we are putting off those things which now, when we come to Christ, those old clothes, those old things of the sinful nature no longer fit us. They're discarded. You know, the only thing we can do is discard them because they don't fit us anymore. But the clothes that we put on, the fruit of the Spirit, now are the clothes that fit us. They're made for us. But Christian character is not easy. The only way that we can put on or clothe ourselves with these virtues is that Christ lives within us. All right? We can't do it in our own strength. It's, it's absolutely impossible. Um, it's supernatural. And that's exactly what God wants us to do, is supernaturally put on those things which, um, <clears throat> which are in, char in character with Christ and who Christ is. Christ is central. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, the two, we have two uh, virtues today that we're going to talk about, and they're some of the more difficult ones, uh, particularly the one of long-suffering. Uh, you know, personally, I do great with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and then we get to this, <laughs> we get to this one we don't like so well, which is long-suffering, um, We'll talk more about that later. But we as Christians have this opportunity to put on these, this, these new clothes because the, the world is getting so dark, is it not? I mean, I'm just, I, things that I thought we'd never see, you know, in my lifetime, I'm beginning to see just rampant in our country. Um, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And listen to these, these character qualities of those who uh, are ungodly in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with it. I, I mean, does that sound like, you know, uh, the news? <laughs> Almost every night, uh, we, we, we see this ungodliness, rampant ungodliness. And so we as, as, as Christians have the opportunity, as, as it says in Matthew, to, to be a light in the darkness, um, to be salt in this, in this corrupt earth. So let's talk about two of those character qualities. And the first is gentleness. The New International Version of the Bible uses the word gentleness six times. The Greek word is prautis, and it has no direct translation into English, so we have to look at some of the ways that it's used in order to understand, you know, the full breadth of what it means. First thing is that prautis means persons or things which have a soothing quality, the ability to produce calm or tranquility. Um, you know, in England they always, uh, and, and it's still, I think it's still very, very common in England to call people gentlemen. You know, we used to do that a lot in our, in our country. Uh, you'd be gentlemen because you'd, be, you'd have that soothing, calm kind of uh, demeanor to you. Second thing is its gentleness of contact, conduct, especially in the case on the part of people who had in their power to act otherwise. The word is used to talk of high-spirited horses that have been trained. I like that. I like that definition. So, you know, you picture a horse, and, and uh, how many of you ride, ride horses? Or maybe used to ride horses, okay. All right. Um, and sometimes you get with a very high-spirited horse. You know, and, it, and it's a lot to, to, hold them, to hold them back. They want to go. Uh, but this, this word proutis would describe that kind of horse. Well under control. But boy, you can feel, you know, if you, you let go of those reins, boom, you're, you're running, you know, you're, you're at a full gallop. Third, it's used to refer to those who are questioned in an argument and don't lose their temper. It's the opposite of a pugnacious, proud, and argumentative person. But gentleness is not weakness or timidity, but a dependence on God. It means the ability to bear reproaches and slights with moderation, and not to embark on revenge quickly, not to be easily provoked to anger, but to be free from bitterness and contentiousness, having tranquility and stability in the spirit. Aristotle defined this word prautis as the mean, and I, I like this definition, between excessive anger and a lack of anger altogether. So, uh, you know, there's some that are just, they're, they're very quick to anger. Others never get angry about anything. It's the mean between them. It's the person who can be angry, um, and he, uh, he calls it gentleness, is strength under control. Uh, Plato used it to describe the watchdog who's, who's very kind and goes up and licks the hand of, of those who are, uh, uh, he knows, but the stranger better beware. It's a humble and pliable submission to God's will which reflects itself in humility, patience, and forbearance toward others regarding even insult or injury as God's means 
of chastisement or training. Now, we have a couple of uh, some real incredible examples in Scripture, and the first is Moses. And I'm going to draw two different instances from Moses' life to kind of show you this contrast. In Exodus 17, the Israelite community um, had set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Yeah, they come all the way out of Egypt, and they get to a place where there's no water. And they're going, wow, we'd have been a whole lot better back there. Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why, don't, why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now, listen to this response. So Moses flew off in a rage. No. <clears throat> Moses cried out to the Lord. And we see this pattern in Moses' life many, many times. The people of Israel would come against him, complain, and, and, and attack him personally, and Moses would go and inquire of the Lord. Lord, what do you want? And Moses said, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The other, uh, the other instance is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. Okay, here's the, here's the story then. Moses and Joshua had been up. This is the first time he'd been up on Mount Sinai. Went up there. He'd been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, took no provision with him. And, and so... Um, the people of Israel begin to uh, question whether Moses and Joshua are ever coming back again. And so uh, they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, make us a golden calf. And we'll worship this golden calf. And so Aaron says, Duh, okay. <laughs> and he, and he, makes, he makes this golden calf. And the people begin to worship it. And they start to revel or dance and, and uh, party. Well... About that time, God spoke to Moses and said, you, you need to get down there. You know, the, the, the kids are rebelling here. <laughs> you need to get down there. Um, and so they're coming down, and Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting. He said to Moses, this is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing, I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink of it. Okay? So I, I, I give you these examples because on the one hand, he would take things to the Lord and wouldn't respond in anger. On the other hand, when the time was right, he could respond in anger. So the person who is gentle or meek, and I love this definition, feels anger on the right grounds and against the right persons and in the right length of time. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful definition? He feels anger on the right grounds against the right persons and, it, and in the right length of time. That's gentleness. We also see it with Jesus, that Jesus was uh, it says he was meek and lowly in heart um, in Matthew 11. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Um, in Matthew 21, it says, you see, a king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Jesus could be very gentle. And, and, uh, you know, and generally, that's the kind of the picture that we have of him. 
I, you know, sometimes you see these, uh, um, you see these uh, movies made of Jesus, and I've never seen one yet that portrayed, portrayed Jesus anything realistically. Have you? <laughs> but a lot of them, Jesus is kind of a milk toast kind of guy, you know, and, and everybody can walk over him and he never gets angry and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, sorry, uh, that is Jesus, but Jesus can also get very angry. Um, John 2, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So, he made a whip out of cords. Okay, now, you know, just think of this. That takes a while. He's sitting there, you know, braiding a whip out of cords, drove all, the, drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? So Jesus could be very gentle and kind and compassionate and all that, but boy, he could, you know, uh, given the right circumstances, Jesus could be very, very angry. That is what gentleness is. So Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely Humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then our text, where we're to clothe ourselves with gentleness. All right, so let's switch over and talk about long-suffering. These two really go together a lot, uh, because a lot of, of gentleness is being long-suffering. And some of you, uh, like Tom this morning, are, are you know, suffering. We're, we, we go through time. We're old enough, all of us here are old enough that we've been through times of suffering, haven't we? Anybody here not suffer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's part of life. That's, you know, and, and you can't get old without suffering at least different periods in your life. Lewis Smith says this. says that suffering takes no talent. It comes to us, takes us captives, pins us down. We're all its victims. Some of us have to suffer more than others. Some are able to suffer with more grace than others. But it is love that enables us to suffer long. So part of, of, of love then, excuse me, is that we are going to suffer and part of love is that we suffer long. That we learn that God works in us the ability to be able to long suffer in times of great uh, difficulty. So long-suffering is the word, Greek word, makrothumeo, and it's almost exactly like the English word. It's makro, which means long, and thumeo, which means tempered or spirited. So uh, it's long-spirited or long-tempered. And in our relationship to people, it's, it's, um, it means that the one who never loses patience with other people however unreasonable they may be, and which never loses hope for them, however unlovely and unteachable they may be. Ever run across somebody like that? that you've just, you just have to long suffer with them. I, you know, some people are just difficult to get along with. I mean, they're just difficult. And in regard to events, it's the attitude to events that never admits defeat, which never loses hope and faith, However dark the situation may be, and however incomprehensible events may be, and however sore the chastening of God may be. 
It's the forbearance that endures injuries and evil deeds without being provoked to anger or revenge. So, it's important to realize that long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. So the closer we draw to Christ, the more that we can long-suffer with other people and with events. And it's part of love, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. First one, love is, that's the same word, uh, long-suffering there. Some translations have that long-suffering. This is the NIV. It uses patience. But the reason that we can be long-suffering is that God is long-suffering. And the only reason that we can, that we have our sins forgiven is that God has had to long-suffer with all of us. Sorry. (laughs) But, you know, he's had to overlook a whole bunch of stuff, hasn't he? You know, we, we have this whole catalog of things that, fortunately, when we come to Christ, it's buried. It's under the blood. It's gone. And God has to long suffer through all of that to get us to the place where we finally say, uh, okay, God, uh, I need you. I need my sins forgiven. 1 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God is long-suffering. I am so thankful he's long-suffering with so many people whom I know that, that you know, God has long-suffered with them and someday they're going to turn and give their life to Christ. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. But let's talk more about what long-suffering is. The paradox of long-suffering is that we must choose to suffer long. Okay, now, so in other words, it's not just, you know, the, the, the person who is virtuous is not the person who suffers a lot. Everybody suffers. And some people suffer and grumble all the time. But, but as Christians, it's that we can suffer and we can be long-suffering and choose to be long-suffering in the midst of sometimes very difficult circumstances. To suffer is to be a victim. To be long-suffering is, in a sense, to be free. So long-suffering is freedom, utterly submissive to God and His will. So to, be, to earn the description long-suffering, we have to make a decision for what we do not want. Choose to live indefinitely with what we hate. And many times, when we long-suffer through something, we don't know if or when there is an end to it. Isn't that right? I mean, that's the whole thing of, of, of suffering. You're in the midst of it, and man, at least it seems like it is never going to end. And sometimes it doesn't. A lot of people suffer with chronic pain and, and uh, relationships and different things and really difficult circumstances, and those things never end. They, they suffer with those things all through their lives. So long-suffering is not passive. It's a tough, aggressive, active, um, aggressive style of life. It takes power of soul to be long-suffering. God's love song is not in praise of merely hanging on. That's not long-suffering. It's in praise of power, the power of affirming and creating life in the midst of suffering. 
So it's taking those same circumstances that people in the world are going through and complaining and, and just, you know, uh, bitter against God for, and we're in the midst of it, and we're, and we're not saying that we, oh, thank you, God, that I'm suffering so much. It's that we find meaning in the midst of it. We create life in the midst of us. None of us likes to suffer. To suffer is to be a victim of the pain, the circumstances, which brought the suffering to us. But it's God loves, God's love that gives us power to accept life and find goodness in living even while we are victims of situations we despise. That's the hard part. It's hard, but it's also freedom. So the Christian patience is not a grim, bleak acceptance of a situation. Now I love this phrase. The Christian waits not as one who waits for the night, but as one who waits for the morning. Isn't that a beautiful description? So we wait as Christians. We're going through the same stuff. It's just as hard on us. We're suffering just as much as people out there in the world, but we're waiting for the morning. They're waiting for the night. So patience in the Bible is not a spineless submission to whatever comes along. That's, that's kismet. That's Islam. It... it <coughs> and inexhaustible willingness to put up with everything. That's Islam. It's the power to see meaning when one's life is under attack. As it says in Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now it doesn't say that all things are good. It just says that God is working for the good of us. In verse 29 it goes on to say, that, that he's, he's conforming us to the image of Christ in the midst of our suffering. So he takes the very thing that the devil brought to destroy us, to build us and make us stronger. That's what Christianity is. But, I need to let you know there are limits to long suffering. And I've, I've faced this in my life as well. Um, that I'll be suffering through something, and then at some point, I just I, I feel God speaking to me, You've suffered long enough. Okay, it's done. Okay, and, and, and there are times when God says, that's enough, get out of it. Now, if it's a relationship or whatever it is that you're going through or circumstances or events or whatever it is, at some point God says, okay, take the steps to get out of this. He doesn't want us to suffer indefinitely. Sometimes he doesn't. But in in connection and in connection with the head, there are times when he says, okay, that's enough. Enough suffering now. But love is the power to suffer longer than you think you can. But only you can tell when you ought to stop suffering and move on. Next thing we need to, to say is that long suffering is not acceptance of evil. All right, as I just mentioned in Romans 8, 28, that it's not that all things are good, it's that there are really evil people out there. There are e evil things that happen to us. Um, we are, you know, God puts us in the midst of a very difficult world. And part of our testimony is that we can be part of that difficult world and we can find life in the midst of it. And sometimes in spite of it.
Um, we, uh, this became very real to us. Um, in uh, Andrew Brunson, do you, how many of you know this story? I think I've mentioned Andrew in here before. But Andrew went to Turkey in 1993 as a church planter and, um, and worked in Izmir, Turkey. And that's where we've done a lot of our work is in Izmir, actually north of Izmir, but we, you know, we almost always find ourselves in Izmir for a period of time. And we knew Andrew. Uh, last time we were with him, we were worshiping together in a house of prayer. Andrew was leading worship and we were, uh, we were worshiping with him. Um, but in July, 2000, um, I'm sorry, in July 2016, there was a coup attempt on the Turkish government. In October, Andrew and Noreen, his wife, um, were at some kind of event, and I don't remember what it was. They came home and there was a little note on their door that said, you need to go down to the police station. Well, they had applied for a residence permit, and so they thought, okay, it's, you know, we'll, we'll wait till Monday. They went in on Monday expecting to you know, get more information about their, uh, about their permit. Uh, they threw him in jail. And um, Noreen was released in about 11 days. And we went in um, early November to a, a, a meeting there in Turkey. And Noreen was speaking at that. And she had just gotten released uh, from, from jail at that time. And she explained that they had no clue why he was in jail. Nobody had told them anything. He was just in jail and, and uh, she'd been released, but the, 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 all the files, the uh, prosecutor's files were all sealed. They couldn't get those. Uh, he had no idea why, why he was in jail for about six or nine months. Um, no, no word whatsoever. He was just in jail. Eventually, he learned that he was a political prisoner being kept in order to exchange for Fethullah Gulen, whom they blamed on the coup attempt in July of that year. Yeah, and he lived in America, in Pennsylvania. Um, he spent almost two years in Turkish prisons. Um, and, you know, this is very personal to us, both because we knew it and also because. Um, God just laid it on us to be part of his prayer team. And we just, pray, I can't tell you how much time we prayed, spent praying for Andrew. And it became a big deal and it was all in the press. And uh, Trump was in on it and Pompeo and a whole bunch of people. Um, but he went through a tremendous struggle for at least the first year. Um, and in his book, he relates how at one particularly low point, he said, Whatever things you have planned for me, he's talking to the Lord, I give it up. I don't care if I have no reward in heaven. Just take me back to my family. I can't handle this anymore. And he relates it how he almost went insane. Uh, he thought he was going insane. Uh, it was really, really rough. And he was in some really rough circumstances uh, in prison, in solitary confinement, in, a, in, a, in cells with a whole bunch of other people, uh, who were really ungodly and so on. But um, he eventually began to, God began to speak to him, and he composed a song. Remember when this song came out. He said, I want to be found worthy to stand before you on that day with no regrets from cowardice, things left undone. To hear you say, well done, my faithful friend, now enter your reward. Jesus, my joy, you are the prize I'm running for. 
Wow. Uh, an incredible song. And so eventually he came to the place where he could accept his suffering and, and find good and find life in the midst of it. And he says, he wrote later, every day brought the same struggle until I reached a place where I was willing to embrace God's assignment for him, for me, he says. And he wrote a book called God's Hostage, and, and that's, you know, that describes this process that he went through. He came to the place where instead of saying, you know, uh, how horrible the Turkish government is, he began to say, God, thank you, I'm your hostage. And that's the name of the book, God's Hostage. I'm your hostage, I'm here at your, your bidding, and I'll stay here until you want me to leave. And God began to, in that acceptance, and in that, in that victory in the midst of all this suffering, God began to set him free. So toward the end of his imprisonment, just before it, at one point he was given house arrest for about three months before he was finally released. And, and he wrote, uh, it, it was, uh, this was his last trial. No, I'm sorry, it was the second to last trial. The last one was when he was released, but his second to last trial, right before he was given house arrest, and he was brought before the judge, and this is, his, uh, this is what he says. The judge says, do you want to speak? Do you have something to say? And he says this. After I was arrested, I was able to meet with my mother, and she said to me, his, his mother kept saying, son, <laughs> his mother was a really strong Christian, had been a missionary, and, uh, and she let him have it sometimes. From the time of Jesus until now, Jesus' disciples have suffered for his sake. There's a long line going all the way back. Now listen to this. A line that stretches 2,000 years. My son, it's now your turn to stand in that line. Wasn't that beautiful? Well, I'm innocent. Uh, Andrew goes on to say, I'm innocent of all these charges brought against me. But I know why I'm really here. For the sake of Jesus Christ, they've been given the privilege not only of believing in him, but also suffering for his sake. I was appointed to proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the reason why I'm suffering. But I am not ashamed. Jesus said, blessed are this is This is to... Uh, a Muslim judge, okay, <laughs> who, who he didn't, Andrew at this point had no idea whether he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life or not. And in fact, at that point, they were saying he was going to be in prison, I think for 35 years? Yeah, 35 years. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so the judge interrupted impatiently. He said, are you almost done? He said, one more, one more minute, please. <clears throat> Andrew went on, he said, I've been given an assignment to be imprisoned for the sake of Jesus. This is a very difficult thing to be separated from my children. He missed his daughter's wedding, he, uh, just all kinds of major events in his family. Separated from my wife. It's been 22 months now, but I bear this assignment for the sake of Jesus. And I declare, blessed am I, because for the sake of Jesus, many people have wronged me, have persecuted me, and I am now suffering. Blessed am I, because I have been forcibly separated from my wife and children. Blessed am I, because every kind of lie has been told about me, because all kinds of slander has been said about me. He said, after, right after he was released, he said, I'm the most hated man in Turkey. And I didn't understand it at the time. 
but I began to realize after he was released how, um, <clears throat> how the press had just so slandered him that he was hated by everybody in Turkey, except in the church, obviously not. Blessed am I because I am in prison. I am kept in prison by force. I do not want to be there, but I choose willingly to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And by suffering for his sake, I hope to display for everyone his incomparable worth. And I want Turkey to know it is for his sake that I am here. That's victory. That's victorious living in the midst of suffering. He had his final trial. He was released the same day on October 12, 2018. So just almost to the day, two years, uh, that he was... The, the State Department sent a private jet, jet to take him to Germany at that time and then back to the U.S. Uh, but he was a broken man. It wasn't easy. He was broken through the suffering that God brought to him. But he was, he was able, and, and he struggled. He had, the whole book is about his struggle, and he doesn't try to sugarcoat it. Uh, he, he describes the struggle that he went through in times that he doubted God and so on and so forth. But God brought him through that to the pray, place of accepting it for the glory of God. Romans 5.3 says, But not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So you see, if we are going to get to character and hope, the door is through suffering. Not completely, but you know, God uses all kinds of ways to bring us there. But we can't get there without suffering. Charles Swindoll told a story uh, by Bruce Waltke uh, in Swindoll's student days at Dallas Seminary. Uh, and Waltke shared this in one of his classes. And Waltke and his daughter were walking through the forest. Uh, daughter was a young daughter. I don't know how Oh, well, he doesn't say. And as they're walking along, they see a cocoon, and it's right at the daughter's you know, eye level, and there's a butterfly struggling to get out of this cocoon, and one wing is out, and the butterfly is struggling to get out. And so little daughter looked up at Daddy and said, Oh, Daddy, he's just struggling to get out. And so Balky thought, Well, you know, I'll just help it out said, I reached down ever so carefully and gently and took the bottom of the cocoon and split it. All of a sudden, it fell out in a great blob and died. He said, I learned a lesson that day, that they need the struggle of emergence to survive. And God's suffering for you and for me as Christians is, is God's way of of, of strengthening us through that suffering in order, to be, in, in order to be able to survive. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, nobody likes to suffer. We're victims of that suffering. But God uses that to build character and hope in us. And so the next time we're going through suffering, you know, try to remember this. I know it's hard. It's, it's not so easy when you're, when, you're, when you're in the midst of it. It's all you can think of. About. But try to remember, you know, that God is at work in this. God is at work in you, and he's building character in you through this incredible suffering that you're going through. 
Now we're not to rejoice in, you know, oh boy, I, I just love this evil. No, we, we speak to the evil, and, the, and it is evil that, that, that brings that suffering on us. But let's find meaning in life in the midst of that struggle. God bless you. story of Jesus write on my heart every word tell me the story most precious sweetest that ever was heard tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth
Father, these words today, these explanations of how that even though there may be suffering, there's suffering for a reason. And you give us the strength to get through it. Or you, and you challenge us to be with it rather than to succumb to it, Father. So let us always take and know that what you have, what you're setting out there for us, what we are being exposed to, that these are things that are being used, that you will use them, and you will find the right way for it to be done for your people. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.